going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff? I thought it'd be nice to do a sort of proper, measured, metered version of the theme song because things are getting back to normal. I'm back in New York, as you can hear. I'm doing my walk from studio to home. It's 5.49 p.m., reasonable hour, if you can imagine. My whole life has changed from when I was frantic about school for basically this whole past year. Um, I'm done. I turned in the last draft of my artist book. I've gone through my website somewhat and fixed insane typos. I'm sure there's many more, but you'd have to be an absolutely crazy person to um, navigate all the pages of that website. Um, If you feel like going to this crazy website, um, it's called readbartlemy.cargo.site and you can feast your eyes on some stuff, quite frankly. Dance and, definitely dance and stuff. Um, and there's PDFs of my portfolio book and my artist book ready for your viewing pleasures. And there's even some fun thesis media videos that we're playing um, around the auditorium during my during my action research action. But the the thing I was actually doing during it with Ushindi is not there yet. I, I'm assuming I'll get a video of it. I should inquire. Inquiring minds want to know what did I say with Ushindi. Um. It was fun. Anyways, I've been uh, back for almost a week. I've been officially done with school for a week. And things are just right back to normal. It's blazing hot in New York. I'm making trips to the Garment District. Harriet and I are in studio planning things, making samples, sending drawings, trying to get things approved. Um... Today I uh, spent some time um, organizing projects that are finished, putting them in um, clear sheet protectors and then into binders with the swatches so that, you know, there's some semblance of of organization and records for um, the future. I mean, most things don't get remade but it's good to have a sense and you know I'm imagining that somebody in the future is going to be interested in the entire archive the archive as a whole you know I got I got Reed and Harry into some trouble a couple years back because I think I was seated at a dinner with some charming people at a a New York City Ballet Gala or something and um, they were like, oh, wow, like you design costumes. And my mother is a collector of costume sketches and renderings. And I was like, oh, cool. Sometime later, they reached out to me and were like, you know, it's my mother's birthday is coming up. And we'd love to acquire some imagery from your collection for her collection. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm... Um, 
I'm being bought. You know, that felt cool. It's like I'm going to be in a, someone's collection. I'm going to be a part of a, a legacy of costume designers' drawings. And um, so one of them came by and had a look through all of our stuff. And they got excited about these watercolors, the original watercolors from Scherzo Fantastique, which is a Justin Peck piece um, that premiered in 2016. And I was like, cool, like these are great images, like they're gonna look great on someone's wall. And then after that person left, I immediately got nervous about, um, okay. Um, rude cars um, I immediately got nervous about cost because uh, I had no idea how much something like that should cost and so I called up a gallerist friend and Sam Wilson and Sam I think told me s s a, uh, generally a price for such a thing or but also told me to be sure to like look into this person's collection and I think also started planting seeds of being like are you sure you want to disrupt your archive your collection do you want something to be missing and then I contacted Linda Murray at the New York Library for the Performing Arts and um, sh she was essentially like don't disrupt the collection she was like the if you if you are dealing with a group of drawings you know like maybe I should be handling the entire Justin Peck archive as a whole and maybe that's being acquired by a gallery or a museum or something but essentially like to to just disrupt that collection by selling off two of the things is not good and I look I obviously not very good about money and asking for money and uh, and such things but um, you know Harry and I had a talk at the beginning of the week and it seems like it's a we're entering into a new era where we're gonna start asking for what we're worth question mark no no question mark and then I had a talk with a gallerist friend Ingrid today and Ingrid was basically like you have to ask I mean not ask you have to tell people um, what what something costs and you have to account for inflation and you have to account for experience and um, I guess that's you know that's what we're gonna do that's my that's my goal moving forward into the rest of this year to just unapologetically tell people what things cost now I also have to figure out what things cost that's a whole other thing anyways 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 um okay so I finished school as you heard we had that prom everyone said goodbye and then packed it up the following day I had a really lovely drive home with Niall and Jesse who are um, old friends and also teachers at University of the Arts and we debriefed in the car and then 
we arrived in Sunset Park and had a gorgeous Mexican meal in their in the backyard area of their apartment building and then <clears throat> excuse me I have like a dry thing in my throat and then we um what how did I get home oh Niall and Jesse drove me to Atlantic Terminal and with all my shit I got on the train and made it home no problemo got home unpacked immediately and then laid on my bed and allowed myself to vegetate in a monumental way and I turned on that Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn show which is either called making I think it's called making the cut I think it is and it's the Amazon reboot of Project Runway and it's their second season and they were doing it in a quarantine situation in Malibu which seemed actually very nice like if that seemed like the way to do it and there were very few contestants and I don't know what their quarantine situation was but I imagine they had to like kind of be um, in their residences for a period of time on this compound and get tested before they could start filming. All sounds kind of nice. And then they, um, everything was just supplied for them on site. So there were no like trips to the fabric store. They had a kind of abbreviated fabric store on the compound and they had a very nice workroom and then a place to like show the clothes, blah, blah, blah. And as with last season, the, the caliber of designers is not, does not range between like amateur and, and or home sewers and experienced people. It's really like people who've established um, a reputation of having a small fashion business and are trying to grow that business now with a million dollars from amazon.com. And they do this thing where every week um, your the person who wins the um, the task for that week, their look, the winning look from that week, immediately gets put into production so that it can be available for sale by the time that that episode airs. Um, and I mean, obviously, they're cutting corners. They're doing they're doing a version of whatever that piece was the like mass market component of that project to um, I'm sure they're doing a pretty a pretty shitty version of it that they can sell on amazon.com for $79 or whatever Um, but much to my surprise Gary Graham was a contestant this year on that show And for those of you who don't know who Gary Graham is, which is most people don't, Gary Graham had um, a fairly well-respected fashion business in New York and a boutique for a time. And his clothes were being sold, um, I think, Barney's. And he had a little boutique at ABC Carpet and Home. And then it had a namesake boutique Uh, I think on the Lower East Side, although I can't recall where it was. And um, Gary made these... uh, How do I describe it? 
I want to I want to be careful with my words here. Not not because I'm going to get myself in trouble, just because I think Gary's work merits, you know, careful language. But um, let me think here. Think. Oh shoot. It's haunted, haunted for sure. Um, it's very female. Um, it's also very historical. So those are the references, kind of like witchery, history, and um, women. And, you know, Gary's clothes all have a real, like, textile story to them. You know, he's always making clothes that are kind of not reproducible um, in terms of being kind of shredded or made out of a rug that he found at a vintage store or hand-painted, etc. So... These are not the kind of clothes that you think, oh yeah, Amazon.com, they'll mass produce it, blah, blah, blah. Also, um, as I move forward talking about this show, um, spoiler, 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 stop listening. If you plan on watching the show, we have some traffic, it's rush hour as I cross town. Um, I just was kicking around a black grocery store bag and um, it reminded me of that American Beauty visual motif of the white plastic bag, but you know, more Gary Graham. (laughs) Black plastic bag kicking around on feet. Um, Lizzie Borden, think Lizzie Borden, Gary Graham. Very Salem Witch Trials, very prairie dress, but make it goth. Um, Anyways, our friend Carling, who was in one of Jack's shows with me and Barton, um, who dances at the Royal Danish Ballet, uh, she wore a beautiful Gary Graham printed dress for her wedding. Anyways, Gary Graham, Gary Graham. Now, Gary Graham shows up on the show. I've never seen Gary Graham. I don't know of Gary Graham's personality or of Gary Graham's life. And now Gary Graham is a middle-aged man who seems to be tall and, you know, in in good kind of shape, but is um, peculiar in the way that um, he has no uh, normal social graces which is, um, becomes kind of the comedy of this season of the show and the bit of the tension of this season of the show because in terms of personalities, um, a fire truck has just been dispatched. Um, they're heading out. I don't know where they're going. Wow. To have a fire in this kind of heat sounds really hard. Um, I don't even want to turn on my stove. Uh, So, Gary Graham often takes quite a while to collect his words, and when they come out of his mouth, they're, they're very abrupt. 
And um, I think he's a very well-meaning person and seems to be... My, my theory is that Gary is very therapized because there's a scene where Gary is dealing with um, another stressed-out contestant who very passive-aggressively points out that there's no space for her to iron. And, um, but rather than to just ask when someone's going to be done ironing or if she might use an iron, she just sort of points out that, oh, so there's nowhere for me to iron or all the irons are unavailable. And Gary, very quickly, is just like, that's not a question. And, um, and Andrea, the contestant who is being sorely, um, subsequently apologizes because she's definitely not an unreasonable person. And, um, she was able to hear that and receive that and, um, amend the, you know, bad behavior. And that was great. I love when things like that happen on reality television. I like when people are good to one another and logical. I don't like reality shows where people are just horrible to each other to generate good TV, but shows where people are invested in craft tend to be pretty good groups of people. British Baking Show, The Great British Pottery Throwdown, this show. Um, And I know in past seasons of Project Runway, they've always managed to find a few people to stir up some trouble. But really not so much this season. And, you know, they tried with this little woman named Olivia who was kind of nasty. Um, uh, This is one thing I did not miss was all this loud noise. But anyways, Olivia was um, very uh, confident, but also plagued by insecurity. It was strange because Olivia, I think it had a kind of rarefied and celebrated existence as a student at Parsons and seems like very shortly after graduating was having success with her own little label as well as doing collaborations with Adidas for her kind of funky streetwear, denim, top stitching, unfinished edges, what have you. And great, I like celebrate Olivia's style and um, I celebrate Olivia's um, I don't know. I I can't really say no-nonsense approach because I think that Olivia's whole character is uh, full of nonsense. I think it's a really not very authentic way of existing. I mean, she's incredibly short and rude to other people and alarmingly egotistical in a way that points to some kind of problem. You know, if, if you talk to someone and you say like, oh, uh, are you experienced with um, delegating or with um, being a boss to groups of people and they say like, 
I've literally done collaborations with Adidas. I absolutely know what I'm doing. It's like, people don't talk like that. You know, you can just say yes. You can explain the kind of work it is that you've done. We don't answer those questions by bragging. It's, it's gross. Anyways, Olivia was gross. And um, I think that the people on the show were fond of her. But um, she went away pretty quickly, as did the lesbian who made um, incredibly boring clothes. Uh, but we'll probably continue to have whatever kind of business they have, where they sell um, uh, solid colored cotton overalls and um, weird wrap front pants that nobody really wants to wear. Um, So they got kicked off. The people who got kicked off right at the beginning, I'm having trouble remembering. I know there was a man who just basically made printed men's Oxford shirts and trousers. And he went away really fast because he had absolutely nothing to say. Um, And then there was a small black man. And I honestly can't remember what he did or did not do that got him kicked off so quickly. Um, But he seemed charming. And he also seemed like he was um, the most novice of the group. I think he was um, not as set up in terms of being a business. Okay, so then you have Andrea and Andrea. And Andrea was this Colombian woman who appears to have some kind of huge business in Colombia where they have accessories, fragrances, shoes. Um, Oh dear, someone in their Tesla. There's been a little fender bender. Um, People are upset in Soho. I'm not sure what's gonna happen. There's a lot of honking. Anyways, I'm gonna not look at it. I'm just gonna keep going. People are stressed out. Um, so Andrea Columbia, her ethos was, um, gold, black, silver, uh, sparkle, trash. Um, and, you know, sometimes that can be fun and sometimes the cut of a dress would be nice and, um... But generally, it was just kind of like, the audience wasn't me. You know, the audience was people I don't know, quite frankly. Um, People who want to spend a lot of money on um, on a, uh, I don't know. I don't even have much to say about Andrea. Um, But she certainly knew what she was doing in terms of running a gross luxury fashion business and sort of raping the earth of its resources without um, a second thought. Um, That's the vibe that I get from Andrea. Andrea, who was another one of the top three, um, has a bridal business in Brooklyn and seems to be doing very well for herself when the show starts. You know, that's the impression you get. 
and she's one of these like um, speed sewers. Andrea can can make clothes very quickly and understands like the power of using stretch fabrics in order to get things in order to very quickly make well-shaped garments you know things that don't require a huge amount of tailoring um so she like i think that andrea seemed like someone who had a good strategy for a show like this and it worked because she won and i I think her clothes were um, ranged from bad to fine, and um, yeah, Andrea made a couple looks that I was like, "Oh, that's nice," and but mostly looks that I was just like, "This is for people who don't." Well, I'm not. I don't know. It's. Uh, wish I had more language to talk about how I feel about Project Runway clothes, but I think in general, they're all kind of so mediocre, it's just hard to even find any language around them. They're neither here nor there, you know? They're not conceptual. They're not extremely beautiful, generally. And I mean, oftentimes what happens on these shows is if like something has decent proportions and fits well, the judges are like, wow, incredible. Like, it doesn't look like an absolute craft project. So that's where Andrea um, did well. She could quickly make a Jersey Maxi dress and be like, oh, that looks great. You know, like, it's not, doesn't have rippling seams, which for a show like that is a big win. So... Um, Andrea's final collection is meaningless to me. The only person who did make a meaningful anything on that show was Gary. And unfortunately for Gary, you know, Gary's... Hmm. Gary has this idea that he wants to move into the kind of world of luxury fashion in order to participate in dismantling the universe of fast luxury fashion, what have you. And um, I think that's a very tall order for someone like Gary, who really is more of an artist than a fashion designer. You know, Gary's, Gary, I think, wants to continue working, making clothes for people to wear. But I also think the story behind Gary's clothes is just so fully fleshed out and it's not its not something that can really be mass-produced without it losing something. So, anyways, who else was even on that show? There was the Australian guy who made yucky clothes and there was the um, French woman who initially you think, oh, this is going to be good. She's going to be so chic. And, but the problem is she was pretty chic and she like understood luxury fabrics and she, um, she had a sort of sophisticated sense of silhouette, um, you know, even more so than the judges could understand. But at the same time, a lot of the clothes that she made were not very thoughtful, had nothing to do with the 
task at hand, which is a part of the show. I mean, in some ways it is like a costume design show because you're not just continually pumping out looks that are part of a collection. You know, you're, you're pumping out looks that um, are in response to a prompt that are really... Um, which is kind of what, you know, Harry and I do. We're prompted by the concept of a piece, and then we move through that. But, the you know, that's not always how fashion design works, especially when people are trying to sell clothes. But at any rate, I guess these shows are also just to see sort of the breadth of these people's creative ability and also, like, make fun television. So... I mean, they don't do things like they did on the old Project Runway where they, like, rummage through a trash heap and then come back and hot glue together some monstrosity for the judges to then, like, judge um, in contrast to real fashion clothes. They're like, oh, wow, this, like, Twizzler dress could be a real garment. And they're like, what? Oh, it can't literally like candy that's coming unglued from a piece of muslin so uh, did I cover it Gary came in second place which is amazing and also the crazy um, weird Barbie plastic surgery person from amazon.com fashioned um, agreed to also do small collections on amazon.com for Gary and Andrea, the Colombian woman, and um, I went online and had a look at what it was Gary Graham could be selling on Amazon.com, and, you know, it's not stupid. I mean, they took a couple of the pieces that Gary had developed on the show, which were this sort of ingenious... Um, upside upside down coat can be worn up or down um, and it looks like two different jackets I mean the problem with wearing it the upside down way is that the pockets then like are basically right over (laughs) your sternum so if you put your hands in your pocket you look very twee or something it's very affected Um, but otherwise very nice coat very interesting shape And then also they're selling that, like, print he made from, like, a rusty Jeep. These, like, squares of different texture and color. Have it printed on something and making, like, a a little midi dress or something. Um, And they're selling everything for, like, under a hundred bucks. And shocking. Um... The grotesquerie of selling selling all this stuff. I mean, you know what? I don't know. I'm of two minds. Like, I'm sure, I hope that Gary's making enough money to pay off his upstate home. And I I, but I also am like stop, um, I almost tripped. Stop um, creating landfill material that will never biodegrade. Stop um, participating in slave labor. Stop um, 
making all these things available to people who don't who don't place any value on things anymore because of the incredible accessibility to things. So anyways, I'm home. This has been my talk about the cut. Um, this year we had Jeremy Scott join the judging team along with um, another model whose name I don't know. Winnie, maybe Winnie Harlow, is that her name? Um, but they paled in comparison to Naomi Campbell and Nicole Ritchie, who we loved having on the show last year. Um, I mean, Jeremy Scott was kind of great in the end because he was really advocating for Gary Graham for the right reasons. But, you know, that's what happened last year when um, Naomi and Nicole, I think, were advocating for... I can't remember how that worked, actually. If they were, if they were advocating for Esther or... Yeah, I think what ended up happening last year is that there was that kind of basic gay guy who was selling yucky clothes but had a big successful business to begin with. And then there was that Belgian kid who was really, really talented and like not, uh, not going to understand how to play the game. And then there was Esther who was, you know, the goth German woman who only made black clothes and the tagline for her collection was hungry for life or something, which was just so crazy. Um, because she was so anorexic. She was deeply hungry for life. She was hungry for food. So, why am I telling you all of this? Esther, the Belgian guy. Hmm. I don't know how we got. Oh, the judges. So anyways, I always feel like the, the, the people who aren't so tapped into capitalism, though, I mean, look, Jeremy Scott, Nicole Ritchie, Naomi Campbell, super tapped into capitalism, all millionaires. Um, even Tim Gunn. Oh, God, Tim Gunn must be, like, such a millionaire, and yet Tim Gunn is, like, this is what I'm about to say is real. Tim Gunn is home in the evening putting a towel over his lap eating boiled noodles with jarred spaghetti sauce while he watches TV in a in a I'm what I'm assuming is probably a very fancy upholstered chair and then passing out in that chair with his bowl of $1 spaghetti this is a man who has million has to have millions of dollars um, interesting. I need to get Tim Gunn to give me his money. What's he going to do with it? He has nobody and nothing. I hope he gives it to some worthy foundations or something. Right? But he he probably won't. He's really not here with us. He probably voted for Trump. I mean, that, that's so mean. That's one of the meanest things you can say about someone. So I don't know. That might not be true. 
Anyways, that's what I did for basically the first five hours. I was back in New York. I finished that. I watched the rest of that show. Um, and then since then, I honestly have not been able to watch TV because every time I put on even a five minute YouTube video, I fall asleep. But I got scared that I was going to get really sad because I could feel it coming in when I had um, the whole weekend free. So I reached out to my friend David Harvey, who was in town doing a CBA fellowship. And we had a beautiful brunch and spent some hours together. And then I got to work helping Jeremy on this interior design job he's doing at James Valoria, which you all have to go see when it opens, which is very soon. And so I just took on some tasks, just helping Jeremy paint surfaces and which has been good, which has been helpful. Um, but now I have work, which is helping. And Russell had a lovely birthday party two nights ago. And the night before that, he and I spent several hours uh, making a cake for his birthday party, which turned out really well. It was Claire Saffitt's preserved lemon cake with a meringue frosting. Now, we didn't have preserved lemons, nor could, could we find them in the many grocery stores we went to within a mile radius. But we did learn that if you grate tons and tons and tons of lemon zest and throw in some salt for good measure, you're basically creating a flavor profile similar to chopped up preserved lemon. And the omission of the preserved lemon didn't seem to have a terribly adverse effect on the cake itself, though I've never had it um, the original way. I'm sure it's absolutely exquisite. Um, but the frosting, never have I felt frosting was so welcome than in this moment of this tart cake with delicious, super tart lemon curd, and then this very light, sweet, white, fluffy marshmallow frosting. So good. Um, and I got to spend time with Kristen and Ellie, and Joshua Thu came, and Russell's landlords that he lives with who are so lovely and it was so nice and um that was good that kept me busy and then I had a long 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 FaceTime with Joe Walsh and Lauren Strongen and Jack and Jeremy all at once it was group FaceTime last night which is good it's like a little hard to be on a five-person FaceTime but but it worked and Nomi, Jack and Jeremy's dog, is doing so well. And she was just up on the couch with them because it was storming outside and she was anxious. And it was so cute. She's so little. I also went to Jack and Jeremy's one night and we ate hamburgers and watched things. And it was so nice. I'm, I'm getting back to normal, which feels really good. I haven't been to see... A performance, though the little island island is now open for business and starting to present outdoor shows that keep getting postponed because of weather. Are we um, uh, what else? I managed to watch half of Allison Roman grilling fish last night, and then I finished it this morning. And I don't think I really made it through whatever um, Claire Saffitz was doing with strawberries this week. I watched it in in fits and starts. Is that what they say? I also last week called... I was corrected by dear friend Emily Modrell. 
Or perhaps it was Matthew. Perhaps it was Matthew who Lindstrom who who um, pointed out that what I called a tabber board hat is it called a mortar board hat. Those hats for graduating with the tassels. Oh, I'm getting sleepy at home. Um, I didn't wear one. I didn't wear a gown. I'm supposedly graduated from college, so I'd like to see the receipts. I need to see the the thing, the degree, before I'm so sure. So sure. Um, what else is happening? Um, I need to call my mom. I need to call Aunt Jane. I'm now going to start making it a practice for whenever I think about someone, I'm just going to text them if I if I'm feeling fond about them. If I'm feeling fondness about them and their person, and I'm comfortable texting, I will do it. I mean, there's sometimes people I'm feeling fond about, but I don't really know them or I don't have their phone number. And so in that case, I won't. I won't do it. I saw Juliana May and Tess Dwarman and Leslie Suget rehearsing and Molly Porcel. Juliana May is working on a new piece at Abrams and I got to see them today and that was such a joy. Joy. Oh, and David Harvey, thank you for listening to the podcast. I can't believe you still do. Um, and Garen and my Australian friends who I was texting with last night before I abruptly fell asleep. Um, anyways, thanks everybody for listening and I'm I'm glad we're back and I'm glad that I have a little bit more mental capacity to absorb things to talk about with you and um, thank you to Katie's friend from Parts for reaching out and sending all those beautiful voice memos and I'm sorry that we weren't able to meet up at that garden in Philadelphia I wish I'd known about such a thing though I wouldn't have had time to go as I was in a panic about whether or not I was going to need to thesis extension. Um, J'adore. I will talk to you all next week. And, um, what's going on with you and stuff? Send me a DM in the Dance and Stuff Show Instagram. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.